Hello, and welcome to the Canada's History Podcast. My name is Nell Ostrom, Associate Editor for Canada's History Magazine. Today, I'm speaking with Cecil Rosner, an award-winning investigative journalist and the managing editor for CBC Manitoba. Cecil is the author of Isolation, an article in the August-September issue of Canada's History, which deals with the CIA's connection to Canadian research into sensory deprivation. The story centers on Dr. John Zubik, who conducted groundbreaking experiments at the University of Manitoba in the 1960s and 70s. Hello, Cecil. Hello. I understand that you were part of Dr. John Zubik's experiments. Tell me about that. Uh, well, I was a student at the University of Manitoba in the uh, early 70s, 1970. That's when I started. And uh, so I guess I was in first year university. And I was walking through the halls one day and I saw an ad on the wall asking for volunteers for an experiment. And uh, I remember this specifically because they offered $20 uh, for people who would volunteer 24 hours of their time. And this this involved going into a uh, the sensory deprivation laboratory and conducting some kind of experiments. So I signed up. Twenty dollars back in 1970 was a fair sum. I think the minimum wage was under two dollars an hour. So this seemed pretty attractive to me. So yeah, I took part in uh, in in an experiment. It was a pretty uh, um, easy, uh, especially easy for me. What it involved is they they had three people. Um, and they covered the eye of two of the three and left the third person as the control. So it was involved occluding one eye and then doing various tests over the course of the 24. You had to sleep there in, in the laboratory. You had to spend literally a full 24 hours. Did you know what the experiments were for? No. No, I, I didn't really know anything about uh, what what this was about, and and I, I confess that I didn't uh, I didn't do any further much asking about. It. I thought it was simply it was a psychology department. It was at the Duff Roblin Building at the University of Manitoba, and this was done through the psychology department. I thought this is what psychology departments do. They do all kinds of experiments like this. A little while later, there was a scandal that broke out on on campus. I remember this too, as, because I was there at the time, and and there had been there had been reports out of Northern Ireland, and this was a, a very hot period of uh, British activity in Northern Ireland and part of the troubles there. And they had passed a detainee um, legislation, and there there were a couple of commissions that were set up in in Britain looking into the. Um, some of the interrogation methods that the British were using on detainees in Northern Ireland in Ulster. And then through that, there was references made to Canadian research that had informed some of the interrogation methods. And then Dr. John Zubek's name came out. And so this led to a lot of kerfuffle on campus at the time about, oh, um, a lot of, it was a revelation to a lot of people that research that had been conducted at the University of Manitoba was somehow informing the interrogation methods that the British Army was using in Northern Ireland. So how much was actually known at the time about Dr. Zubek's possible connection with the CIA? Not a lot of information was forthcoming. There were these suggestions, and it definitely came up in one of the British inquiries that they had they had looked at Zubek's research, but it still wasn't entirely clear that was his research intended for that purpose, or was he doing basic research that other people were simply using for other purposes? And and so that's when that's when I started to learn more about the whole 
business. And so this was all happening before anyone knew about what the CIA was doing in mind control research? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dr. Zubek died in 1974, uh, which was the same year I graduated from the University of Manitoba. And then I kind of uh, I didn't pay much more attention to it um, until I guess it would be 1977. And that's when uh, all the revelations began to emerge out of the U.S. that there had been this CIA mind control program in the 1950s and 60s, uh, which was secret up till then. I mean, there was this... Uh, uh, article by uh, in the New York Times, really was John Marks, this American uh, researcher, um, who had made a number of f- freedom of information requests and had unearthed uh, all kinds of documents that indicated that throughout the 50s and into the early 60s, the CIA had financed and conducted a whole series of mind control experiments. And out of this came a lot of the famous stories we know about now, their experimentation with LSD, sometimes on unwitting participants, um, psychic driving experiments of the type done by Dr. Ewan Cameron in Montreal, sensory deprivation experiments. There were It was the height of the Cold War. They were worried about Soviet and Chinese brainwashing. Now, at the time, you were a reporter for the Winnipeg Free Press, and you wrote a few stories about uh, Dr. Zubik's experiments, which the CBC also picked up. What was the reaction from Dr. Zubik's colleagues? There was some backlash. The backlash clearly was, I mean, Dr. Zubek uh, came to the University of Manitoba in 1953 as head of the department at the age of 28. He was a very brilliant guy, uh, very meteoric rise in his profession at the time. And he built this department. He attracted large amounts of money and research dollars to the University of Manitoba psychology department. He was the founding father in many ways attracted a huge international reputation to the department. So any suggestion that his research was somehow unsavory or unethical or connected to things that people might not consider were very nice uh, obviously hit home to uh, some of his colleagues, some of the members of the department that had worked with him. So there was a lot of negative reaction to some of these things, and and there was a a lot of defense that he was basically still doing basic research that was valid for its time and that uh, these criticisms weren't warranted. So how does Dr. Zubik's research connect to the interrogation methods that are used by intelligence agencies today? Well, that's where where I think some of the recent... um, or the, or the documents and information that's come out in the last 15 to 20 years uh, can inform the answer to that question. The, um, the Baltimore Sun uh, actually accessed through fr- another Freedom of Information request in the late 90s uh, a number of the CIA's interrogation manuals over the years. And these are actual documents. They're, they're literally CIA interrogation manuals. One of them was called QBARC. Uh, and this was written in 1963. And if you look at that document, you will see that a lot of the work done by psychologists uh, across North America informs uh, their philosophy of interrogation. Um, And you will see evidence there of how sensory deprivation can be utilized uh, in interrogation. Even if you look at the most more recent... uh, cases, like even the Omar Khadr case, 
Um, there's references there to um, that have been revealed recently about uh, how they used softening up techniques on him prior to various interrogation. I mean, this is forming now part of the the whole uh, potential prosecution of him and where that's going to end up. But they use um, a program that they call the frequent flyer program, which is moving the inmate around every three or four hours, 24 hours a day for weeks on end so that they're disoriented. And then they also talk about isolation as a softening up mechanism for uh, sensory, uh, for uh, interrogation. So there's pretty clear indications in these different manuals and experiences that the whole field of sensory deprivation was used uh, and the research uh, was relied upon by uh, different intelligence agencies. Now, it, it seems that Dr. Zubik's life came to a sad end. What can you tell me about that? It, it is a bit of a mystery. Um, I mean, he one day his body was found in the Red River, dead at age of 49. It was quite a shocking thing. So there was all kinds of intense speculation about this. Um, he he did come under all kinds of pressure in the last few years of his life. It seemed that the field of sensory deprivation was coming to kind of a natural end. Um, all of this, all of his research was funded by the, or the vast majority of it was funded by the Defense Research Board. Um, the, the research started to, the Defense Research Board indicated that it, it didn't want to res- uh, fund this anymore. Uh, it had found out perhaps as much as it could on this front. So his, his money was running out. The pressure, I think, of some of the protests and criticisms got to him. A lot of his colleagues described him as fairly uh, sensitive and thin-skinned when it came to things like this. There, and there were certainly other things going on in his life. So the combination of things led to... Now, and I've got to say that uh, I, I, we, we can never be definitive about these things. Some of his colleagues think that he may have simply become disoriented and wandered into the river, and other of his colleagues think that he committed suicide. So that's about all that you can say about it. The, the interesting thing to me is this, that after his death, sensory deprivation research at the University of Manitoba stopped completely, and the field itself um, kind of ended it, it, it morphed in, in some small ways into some other things in a couple of other places, but it really, um, it really stopped. Um, so it, that part of the story is a little mysterious, too. Thank you, Cecil. My pleasure. Thanks. I'm Nell Ostrom, Associate Editor of Canada's History Magazine. I've been speaking with Cecil Rosner, an award-winning author and journalist based in Winnipeg. Cecil has written a story about John Zubik, a scientist who conducted controversial experiments into sensory deprivation in the 1960s and 70s. You can read the story in the August-September issue of Canada's History magazine.